We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. My name is Patrick Moran. Thank you. Very much as always for listening, watching, following, and subscribing. Let me ask you a question, folks. You know the term. We've we've heard it all of our lives. I got some good news and I got some bad news. What do you want to hear first? When I was a kid, my mother taught me to always take the bad news first. Like Get the bad shit out of the way, and then you would hear the good news at the end. Now, sometimes the bad news would be way worse than the good news, and it didn't really make you feel better. But generally speaking, you get the bad news first, and then you get the good news, and you kind of leave that conversation or that moment a little bit more on a uh, on a good note. That's what today is kind of all about. So. Today, we're doing the first of a two-part series, uh, State of the Buffalo Bills, and today is going to be the sad version. This is going to be, and I'm warning you, prefacing this right now, telling you up front, this is going to be doom and gloom. Today's episode, when it comes to the Buffalo Bills, the state of the 2024 Buffalo Bills, this is all, all the negative shit that I can rustle up. So today's episode is not going to be bad news and good news. It's going to be literally all bad news. All of the things, the topics, the items that, in my opinion anyway, don't bode well for the Buffalo Bills going into this offseason and into the 2024 season. Now, conversely, tomorrow's episode is going to be State of the Buffalo Bills, and it's going to be the happy version all flowers. So I guess today is the day where people are like, you are a hater. Tomorrow is going to be the day where, dude, you are such a homer. No balance here. No in between. It's going to be all bad today. Going to be all good tomorrow. Just want to let you know that up front so that if you dump in, you know, you jump in 
10, 15 minutes into the episode. You're like, dude, did you say anything good about the Bills? Nah, not today I'm not. But tomorrow, I ain't going to say anything bad about the Buffalo Bills. And again, this is just my personal opinions, some thoughts, some notes that I put together for both these episodes. Uh, one quick programming note too, and then we're going to dive in because I... <laughs> I sound like a goddamn broken record when I say this all the time. Not going to be a long episode. Sure shit always ends up being a long episode. I absolutely suck at getting out of points uh, quicker and making these episodes into roughly the time frame that I hope to. Never fails. But I'm going to try again. I'm going to keep trying until I get it. But uh, a quick programming note here. So today's episode, tomorrow's episode, you're watching these on Monday and hope Tuesday, hopefully, whether you're watching or whether you're listening. But I'm actually on vacation. I'm on a cruise. If you've been watching the show, listening to the show over the past week, you already know this. Um, I'm on a cruise right now, or not right now, even when you're hearing this right now. So this drops on Monday. I'll actually be coming back to Buffalo, flying back from Florida sometime on Monday, getting my life in order a little bit on Tuesday. And I just want to let you know that by Wednesday, I don't, I don't hate saying new episodes because these are new episodes. You've never heard these episodes before. I'll be back in the studio recording new episodes, new episodes that are new to me, like stuff that is a little more time sensitive. We've went out of our way over the past week or so to have episodes that really aren't sensitive to time in the event that things happen. And with me being un unable to record anything for a solid eight or nine days. Um, over the past week or so, you, you've heard some episodes like this two-part series that we got going on today. Um, I had an interview with Dom Tippett from Channel 7, had an interview with Sarah Holland from Channel 4, and you've been listening or watching those episodes. So you'll have these two today. I will be back with uh, the ability to talk about new developments on Wednesday. All right, I got that right. Enough bullshitting around here at the top. Let's dive in. So to me, again, this is State of the Buffalo Bills 2024, the sad version. And these aren't necessarily in order, like in significance of importance of, you know, from worst to uh, least worst, just a bunch of topics that, that I see being an issue for the Bills for this offseason, this up upcoming season. So let's just dive in right now. Um, first and foremost, the salary cap situation. It sucks. And this is something that Brandon Bean has not had to deal with since uh, 2018 when he cut a bunch of players, traded Sammy Watkins, traded Ron Darby, created a lot of cap room or dead cap space, I should say, for one year so that he could have a lot of cap room into the future. The Bills have been the beneficiaries of having a franchise stud quarterback on a pretty cheap salary cap anyway over the last couple of years. Even though we signed a mega extension a couple of years ago, the first couple of years of his cap hit were nothing. Not the case anymore. Josh Allen's cap hit is going up to like $47 million this season, starting this season. As of right now, as I record this, which by the way, I should have put this out there. One more real quick disclaimer. I've already told you this. This is being taped before I even leave for vacation, before I even go on my cruise. So in the grand, you know, in the unlikely event that something insane happens, whether it's an injury, um, just whatever kind of big breaking Buffalo Bills news, if it's not covered 
on today or tomorrow's episode is because these were already taped. As things stand right now, as I record this, which is during the weekend, early February here, the Bills are like around $50 million or so over the salary cap. They are the second most per spot track, the second most over the cap team in the entire NFL behind only the New Orleans Saints. Um, Miami's right there. So if you want a silver lining, which is going to be one of the very few silver linings you get during this doom and gloom sad episode, but uh, Miami's right there with them and they actually got less players under contract. So because if you're looking for a little bit of silver lining with the cap, there you go. Anyway, so the bills are around 50 or million. So over now, don't worry. I mean, they're going to get to within available operating room, not good operating room. So I want to be careful with my wording here, but they're going to be able to function. They're going to be able to operate. There'll be a bunch of restructures. Um, there'll be a lot of contract gymnastics going on with Brandon Bean. Quite frankly, I don't know enough about the cap, the intricacies of the cap. I can't explain it to you in an elaborate fashion, like somebody uh, such as Greg Thompson from Cover One. So good at doing that shit. Which, by the way, if you have not watched um, Greg Thompson's salary cap special and you care about the salary cap and how it works and some ways that the Bills can effectively and creatively get under the cap and have some relatively decent room to operate this offseason, I highly suggest going to the Cover One YouTube channel or the podcast feed and finding the episode where Greg Thompson is a special about the salary cap. Make sure you go check that out. But anyway, like I said, they'll do some contract gymnastics. They'll get to where they need to get to. But uh, simply put, Brandon Bean, he ain't got the luxuries this year that he's had over the past couple years during the offseason for the Buffalo Bills. You know, you go back two years ago and you got the big splash signing with Vaughn Miller. You go back four years ago and you swing a, a trade for Stefan Diggs, knowing that it's probably going to cost you a big money extension. Last year, no splash players, but a ton of quality, decent, veteran, free agent, death and role players, which really helped this team out a lot over the past season. Anyway, Brandon Bean's not going to have that this year. So whether it's a a big splash player. So if you're thinking about, you look at, you know, PFF or ESPN, whatever outlet, you're looking at the top 20, top 30 free agents. And you're like, oh, wow, this wide receiver will look great in a Bills uniform. This edge rusher, he'll get after quarterback 14, 15 times. He's going to cost 17, $18 million. Get that shit out of your head because it's not happening. Not happening. Not this year anyway. So whether it's a splash whether it's a, a whole bunch of veteran depth on this team, role players, I don't think you're going to see it this time around. In fact, there might be a handful of potential salary cap victims. And again, I'm not going to get today anyway. We'll, maybe we'll talk about it in future episodes when I have guests with me. A little bit more knowledge uh, you know, on the, um, the intimate parts of the salary cap. But just on the surface alone, there's a couple of good Buffalo Bills veteran players that could be cut victims because of the salary cap. Uh, Trey White is one. In fact, I don't even think he's just a possibility. This is just me talking right now. No inside knowledge, just my, my gut, my hunch, based on a lot of factors, money, roster makeup, et cetera. I think Trey White is not only a possibility, I think he's a near lock. 
I think Trey White very well may have played his last game already with the Buffalo Bills, in part because of the salary cap, um, other possibilities. And I'm not saying it could happen, but I'm saying possibilities. When you look at the cap numbers, potential savings, et cetera, et cetera, Mitch Morris is a possibility. Jordan Poyer is definitely a possibility. If you want to get really deep into the weeds, not a lot of savings here. There's some dead cap to eat that savings. But uh, Connor McGovern, who they just signed last year, he could be a possibility. Some lesser, most fans will care very little, if at all. Guys like uh, Deontay Hardy, Naheem Hines, Saran Neal, Reggie Gilliam. These are guys that the Bills could save a chunk of change under. So you might see some guys actually get cut because of the salary cap. And again, it's they're in a position where they're just not going to be able to afford to go out and sign all these, not necessarily even starters, but just key role players like they did last year. So the salary cap is going to be a big issue for the Buffalo Bills this offseason. Um, more specifically, you know, I talked about a couple times now, veteran and uh, veteran depth, veteran role players, whatever you want to call them, some key guys there. That is likely to take a big hit on this roster. Last year alone, we'll just go by last year. Randy Bean had the luxury to add not big contracts. Most of these, in fact, almost all the contracts last year were one-year deals, which is why the Bills have so many damn free agents this time around because they were all one-year deals basically last year. But you look at some of the really good depth that the Buffalo Bills had last year, it was veteran depth, free agency depth, um, running back. Latavius Murray and Damian Harris, they were original signees. Damian Harris got hurt. Ty Johnson came into the mix, who I thought played really well. You know, those are three pretty good veteran running backs that the Bills signed to free agent deals over the course of last season. Um, wide receivers. We already talked about Deontay Hardy. In fact, he was a kind of a priority signing last March. Now, that didn't work out, obviously. Uh, Trent Sherfield, another guy. You know, being able to, to go out and get a guy like him coming over from Miami, expected more out of him. Did have a big catch, though, in the uh, division clinching game. So you got to give him credit for that. But my point is, he was a relatively solid veteran role player. Uh, David Edwards in the interior. I'll tell you what, I looked it up on, on PFF. David Edwards played 194 snaps for the Bills this year. Now, almost all of those, whereas that, Six offensive linemen slash third tight end, whatever you want to call it. That personnel that the Bills have liked to run the last couple of years, the year before he did it with Bobby Hart. David Edwards was much better at it this year. 194 snaps. He had the best run blocking grade of anybody on the Buffalo Bills per PFF, 85.9. Wasn't even really close either. So David Edwards was a really, really good pickup. I'm not sure that you have the luxury of being able to, to pay three to four million or whatever it's going to cost. Going by projections, it sounds like it would be at least that to uh, come in and be your sixth offensive lineman, your 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 swing guard, and that third, second, or third tight end, depending on what personnel you're using. So there's that. Plenty of defensive line hits. More on that in a minute, specifically. Um, Taylor Rapp, five point five million. That's what his contract projection is per spot rack when he's going to hit the open market. Now, who knows how that plays out. But Taylor Rapp was a uh, another good depth signing, one of the Bills' first ones last year. I don't think you're going to be able to go out and spend $5, 6000000 million for a safety that you know ain't starting. Like last year, 
You had Micah Hyde coming back. You had Jordan Boyer. You re-signed him. You go out and you get Taylor Rapp anyway. Now, he had a specific role. They played a lot of that dime look where Boyer would go into the box and Rapp was the safety. And Taylor Rapp paid big dividends, again, against Miami when they won the division. Back-to-back huge plays, including the game-clinching interception. So these types of players you might not be able to go out and get this time around. Uh, Dane Jackson, quality, dependable backup. I don't like him starting, but a really good backup defensive back. He's going to be a free agent. They could lose him. Tyrell Dodson, you know, I must have made fun of him about 100 times last season. His PFF grade, just ridiculous. According to PFF, he was like the third or fourth best linebacker in the NFL. That's absurd. But you know what he was? He was a good role player, man. He had a good season. He did a lot of good things. Sucks in pass coverage. Really good against the run. Did a lot of good things for the Bills. And he's a special teams guy. But anyway, he's a free agent. You're not going to be able to go out and just re-sign all these guys. You know, Terrell Dodson, per uh, spot rack, his market suggested he should get right around $5 million. Did the Bills have the luxury with this cap situation of spending $5 million on a linebacker who's not going to start? I don't think so. So you're going to see more rookies on this roster. You're, you're going to see more dirt cheap labor as depth backups on this roster. And that's kind of scary. It's scary to begin with, but it's especially scary when you when you consider the injury history right now that the uh that the Buffalo Bills have had over the past two years. One more topic, and then I want to get into a quick break here. I, I hinted a minute ago about the defensive line. And I hate to say it. I know a lot of y'all are gonna be pissed off even thinking about it, but this defensive line is gonna have to be to some extent, at least, rebuilt yet again. And the thought that it's realistic, and again, most of you don't want to hear this, the Bills could use early-round picks. Hell, the Bills could use a first-round draft pick again on an edge rusher or a defensive tackle. And I know that's like nails on a chalkboard when you're just begging for Weapons for Josh Allen, a wide receiver with the first round pick. Could happen too, by the way. But my point is defensive line needs to be retooled big time right now. Big time. Um, only at Oliver, Vaughn Miller, which more on him in a few minutes too, and Greg Rizzo. As of this taping, as I'm recording this anyway, those are the only three guys that seemed like locks to be back for the Buffalo Bills. And we know Sean McDermott likes to play eight, sometimes even nine defensive linemen in a rotation where the backups get plenty of snaps. And right now the Bills have less than what they need under contract for 2024 as I tape this. Um, A.J. Epinesa, free agent. Leonard Floyd, free agent. Taquan Jones, free agent. That's three key defensive lineman. That's your one tech guy who was a stud at least the first month of the season he was before he got hurt in, in London. So that's your, your one tech defensive tackle and that's two of your three best defensive ends this past season all pending uh, free agents. Interior. Ditto. Puna Ford. Uh, Tim Settle. Linval Joseph. Uh, Jordan Phillips, if he even plays, he's talking about retiring. 
And by the way, going back to the edges, Shaq Lawson also will be a free agent. So God, God damn, man. I just off the top of my head. Let me look at my list here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight defensive linemen that the Bills played regularly last year, this past season. None of them are under contract. So there's going to be a lot of change. Now, I think the Bills are going to make some effort. In fact, if there's one position on this team when it comes to their own free agents, where I think Brandon Bean is going to sink whatever money he does have to operate into this organization, I think it's going to come on the defensive line. Like Gabe Davis is gone. They're not paying Gabe Davis 10, 12, 13 million or more per season. He's gone. He's the only free agent of significant value on the offensive side. I just ran off a bunch here on the defensive end or defensive side, more specifically the defensive line. So whatever money Brandon Bean has, I could see him trying to get maybe AJ Vanessa back. I think Leonard Floyd, in fact, he's made it clear he's going where the money goes. And I highly, highly doubt that the Bills are going to be in a position to pay Leonard Floyd the most of any contract offer that he receives. So you can pretty much count him out. But I would say AJ Vanessa is probably going to be a priority. And I would certainly hope that Daquan Jones is going to be a priority. So it's going to be a lot of new additions here to uh, the defensive ends and the defensive tackles. You're probably looking at at least two to three dirt cheap veterans. And again, at least one or two rookies probably enter this rotation in 2024. There's no real way of avoiding this unit taking a hit in 2024 um you know they were great at times and they were pretty lousy at others included the Kansas City Chiefs game in the playoffs but they couldn't make a stop to save their lives but yeah man um again I hate to say it but defensive line is definitely something much of the dismay of many of us here that Brandon Bean is going to have to to sink some significant resources uh into anyway going to take a real quick break come back and uh, we'll be back Got a handful more of topics. State of the Buffalo Bills. And this is the sad version. Be right back, folks. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, we are back with a reminder that tomorrow's episode, far, far more optimistic here. Tomorrow's the the, the state of the Buffalo Bills, the happy version. This is, unfortunately, the sad version. And to pick right back up where we left off, um, something that people don't really think about much right now, and I understand because there's so much more stuff going on in the moment. But, yeah, the Buffalo Bills are going to get Matt Milano back in 2024. But there's no guarantee that Matt Milano that we see in 2024 is the same linebacker that we saw over the last handful of years, which quite frankly has been one of the very best linebackers in the entire NFL and all pro in 2022. This was a, a major injury that happened to him. And, you know, as the, the season wore down and we started wondering going into the playoffs, out of the regular season in the playoffs, are the Bills going to get Taquan back? They're going to get Matt Milano back for this stretch run? Just like last year, it was the same deal, wondering if the Bills are going to get Micah Hyde back. And it became apparent. Sean McDermott talked about the possibility of Daquan. And ultimately, of course, Daquan Jones was able to come back. But this wasn't even a possibility about Matt Milano. Like if the Bills went to the Super Bowl, Matt Milano won playing. That injury was far more significant and severe. It's a knee injury. It's a leg injury. In his case, it's both. And still don't know quite exactly all the details, but it might be months before you see him back being able to, to even begin playing. Um, and I could be wrong, and I hope I am, but it's at least conceivable that Matt Milano's not even on the field before the summer. And we've seen now, unfortunately, back-to-back years twice in three years for one of these players where there's been significant injuries and ultimately they would get back in around a year or so, but they weren't the same player right away. You know, in 2020, I'm sure get the years right here, 2021, Trey White tears his ACL, gets back at the halfway point of 2022, and he was a shell of himself for the back half of that 2022 season. Now, he started playing really, really good in 2023. Looked great in camp. Looked good the first month of the season. Looked maybe 90, 95% of his old self. And then he hurt his um his Achilles. So he's gone again. Vaughn Miller, Thanksgiving Day. He was, he was a beast the first eight games with the Bills in 2022. He was everything that Brandon Bean was hoping for. But then he tears his ACL. He came back last year in the London game. 
And we saw it. He didn't do shit for more. Most of them more on him in a second, too, by the way. But he didn't do shit. So that's something you at least got to have your guard up for when it comes to Matt Milano. He'll get on the field eventually. But how effective is he going to be? If he gets on the field for spring or summer, is it going to take a handful of weeks, a handful of months? Is it going to take a half season before you start to see the real Matt Milano? So that's something to certainly be concerned about. I just mentioned Vaughn Miller. That's another one. I think it's very fair to ask at this point. Is Vaughn Miller washed up? Last year, he played 298 snaps. 207 of those snaps were pass rushes, and he registered zero sacks. Literally zero. A goose egg. Um, 112 per PFF here. 112 eligible pass rushers. Vaughn Miller was 100th out of 112 in his PFF overall grade, just a 53.3. He had never had previous to this um, a seasonal grade under 79 for his entire career before this year. He's going to be turning 35 years old. He has an awful, and I mean awful, contract. But it is possible for the Bills to get out, but they're going to eat a shitload of money. If they do that in a, if you're looking to get rid of Vaughn Miller in a best case scenario, and I hate to say this, but best case, the league suspends them because if the league suspends them, the bills can get out of that guaranteed money and it will be a lot easier and cheaper to the bills, to the organization to be able to just wash their hands with Vaughn and get rid of them. But here's the thing. If there's one positive thing about Vaughn is I thought he looked much better in the two playoff games than he did during the regular season. I thought, and this is more of an indictment against everyone else on the Bills, but defensively, I thought Von Miller might have been their best player on the field defensively against the Kansas City Chiefs. So if you're confident that what you saw at the end is what you'll see going forward with Von Miller, maybe a guy who could still get you Let's say what Leonard Floyd gave the Bills this year. He gave him 10 and a half sacks, disappeared for stretches, but had some big plays. If you see that with Vaughn Miller, I don't know that you have the luxury to get rid of him, especially since he's under contract here and needs so much money anyway. With Floyd gone, likely gone. With AJ Vanessa possibly gone. You might be stuck with Vaughn Miller. You might be stuck with him. And at 35 years old, with no sacks last year, even if he gets some improvement, probably not a good thing. Uh, quickly here too, talked about this plenty of times over the last week or so on the show. I think it's concerning to me that Ed Oliver has done nothing in the playoffs back to back years when the bills got eliminated. And I know people say, well, when you lose a game, the defense tends to not play well. You, you got eliminated. It means a lot of things went wrong. I agree, but there's not a lot of quote unquote superstars on the Buffalo bills that play like shit in the playoffs. And Ed Oliver's one of them. Ed Oliver had a magnificent, a magnificent season again, especially this year, even more so than 2022. You know, 2022, I thought he was flashy, played well at times, dominant, couple games here and there, disappeared a little bit. And then he was a complete no-show when the Bengals smacked him in Orchard Park in the playoffs. And the excuse I heard a lot of was Daquan Jones didn't play. And that was valid. Daquan Jones did not play. Ed Oliver probably commanded a lot of attention. Well, fast forward to this year. He gets a brand new extension. Ed Oliver was dominant. I thought he very easily could have been a pro bowler this year. Um, 
Arguably, he was the Bills' most consistently good player week in and week out all season long. Serviceable against Pittsburgh in the wildcard round. Did shit against Kansas City in the playoffs game. Again, second straight year, elimination loss, a complete no-show. And this time, you can't be blaming no Daquan Jones because Daquan was right next to him. So that concerns me. Do the Bills have, led by Ed Oliver, a, a bunch of start players who play their best in the regular season and kind of fade away when the playoffs come? Because he's one of them. And then as we wind down here, my next guy, my next point, Stefan Diggs. Where was he in the playoffs? Where has he been in the playoffs three straight years when the Bills have been eliminated? Pretty much almost nowhere to be found. But Diggs drama, the sequel, because there's plenty of it last year. And there's layers. There's on-field stuff, maybe off the field as well. Let's start with the on-the-field stuff, okay? Stephon Diggs has been a Buffalo Bill for four years. And it's funny when you think about it. Four years he's been a Buffalo Bill. During that time, he has put up quite literally the four best single-season reception marks in the history of the franchise. You go and you look at the entire history of the franchise, most catches in a single season. Stephon Diggs owns number one, number two, number three, and number four in four seasons. Literally, no one has ever in the history of this franchise been better at catching the football than Stefan Diggs. It's unbelievable. And even in, I get it, in the new era, you throw the ball so much more. Still, Stefan Diggs' production on the whole has been phenomenal. It really has. Um, he had 103 catches this year. Third most all-time in the history of the franchise. Again, the only two higher are two other seasons by Stefan Diggs. But you look, man, last 13 games, he did not have 100 yards once, including the postseason. So when I say last 13 games, I'm including the two playoff games as well. 13 straight games without 100 yards. He had 68 catches in those 13 games, only caught 61% of his targets. Now, is that all him? No, of course. Josh Allen, some of those are just bad throws. Some are good coverage. But 61% of the time when he's targeted over the last 30 games, he caught the ball. That ain't good. Um, we saw Khalil Shakir. Stefan saw Khalil Shakir and Dalton Kincaid become a much bigger part of this offense. In some ways, even more reliable passing threats than Stefan Diggs was. So that's on the field stuff you got to worry about. Off the field, look, most of, especially last year, most of the drama was, was fan-driven, media-driven, content-creator-driven. But you're nuts if you don't think there was some, because there was. Stefan Days was not happy last offseason. I promise you that. You know that already. It could get worse this time. I think it can. I think it might. He's aware of his dip in production over the last half of the season. I'm sure he's read a lot about it, heard a lot about it. And you see that in the rise of some of these young Bills players. I said, you know, Shakir, Dalton Kincaid, and James Cook. And you know that they are very, very, very likely to draft a wide receiver early in this draft, at least one maybe multiple ones. And Brandon Bean, who does not like taking wide receivers early, I think even he knows that he's got to do it this time around. 
because Stefan Diggs is turning 31 during this season. So besides all this other stuff, he's getting up there in age too. 31 years old is no spring chicken, especially for a number one wide receiver in the NFL. Um, caught it and traded him. Still highly unlikely, I think. But financially, it's it's not impossible. Like last year, it felt like it was impossible. And still unlikely this time around too. But if the Bills were to post June 1st, which does matter, by the way, but post June 1st, if the Bills were to cut or trade Stefan Diggs, they would have to eat $31 million in dead cap money over two years. But if they post it for June 1st, they could save $19 million against the cap this season. Again, still highly unlikely, but not impossible. And it sucks that it has to be post June 1st. For those who don't know, the difference between cutting Stefan Diggs, or let's just, I'm using him just as an example, but this could be literally any player. If you cut somebody now, whatever that cap savings is, that's available now. Whatever that dead cap is, dead cap is dead cap, but savings you get immediately. When you cut someone post June 1st, basically and generally, that means you could take that dead cap hit, spread it over the course of multiple years. And you might get more cap savings. However, you can't touch that. You don't get that until June 1st. So if you're like, oh, the Bills could just go out and spend, say, $19 million on other free agents, don't work that way. Because that $19 million isn't available until that post-June 1st designation. So, I mean, they could cut them today and they could post, they could put a designation of June 1st. But still, the, the important thing is that money's not available until June 1st. So again, it's unlikely, but it could happen. Um, losing him short term, at least, it's going to make this team worse. Say what you want about Stefan Diggs. If you want to think his production declining, you want to think he's starting to fall off a cliff, you're certainly entitled to that opinion. If you want to think that he's going to get insufferable for whatever reason in the locker room, I'm not saying he is, but if you want to think that, I get it. But, and you can move on from them, but you're gonna you're gonna suffer short term. You are. The Bills have other needs. They didn't even get the wide receiver at 28. Let's just say they get a wide receiver at 28. Brandon Bean's gonna need his draft picks. I, I mean, we've just listed off a ton of reasons why. I don't see the Bills moving up and giving up picks because they're probably gonna need more rookies than ever to fill out this roster because they just don't have the money to go out and sign as many veterans as they have in years past. You're talking what the third, fourth, fifth, maybe wide receiver in his draft class. You expect him to come in and give you 65, 70 catches as a rookie, which is still well short of what Stefan gives you. Find a way to keep him. But anyway, my point is I, it just it's worrisome. His on the field dip, and it's worrisome about what he might be feeling right now about this organization and his role now and going forward off of it. So definitely something to keep an eye on, something that's worrisome. Um, with Sean McDermott. Now, has Sean McDermott gotten this team as far as he can get them? As far as this team's going to go with Sean McDermott? It's a fair question to ponder. Let me read a tweet. Uh, Because I, I, I think this tweet is kind of poignant. And again, prefacing this, folks, this is the sad version of the state of the Buffalo Bills, okay? Sad vibes only today, unfortunately. At FilthyB79 says, at some point, you have to look at the facts. And McDivisional is 0-4 in playoff games against Mahomes and Burrow, including the last two years at home. He's also 0-4 on the road 
which is why I still give pause to the idea that the Bills would have won in Baltimore like the Chiefs did. Fair point, folks. I'm sorry, but it is. It's a fair point. It's not fun. It's not comfortable to talk about. I get it, but I think it's fair. No, there's, you know, I'm not saying Sean McDermott. In fact, he's not because he's won in the playoffs. Sean McDermott's not a a one-and-done guy like Marvin Lewis was with the Bengals. Seven times in a row, Marvin Lewis lost in the first round as head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Sean hasn't done that. But Marvin Lewis was a good coach. Marvin Lewis had the Cincinnati Bengals in the mix every year. Cincinnati Bengals under Marvin Lewis made the playoffs seven out of 11 years. And that's where they would stall. Again, Sean's won some games. So I'm not comparing him necessarily to Marv Lewis in terms of record, but this is where I can get you to. You're going to be in the mix every year. are going to get you in the playoffs. And this is where we stall. The other name we hear countlessly is Marty Schoenheimer. Marty Schoenheimer, 5-13 and 13 in the playoffs. Sean McDermott's record is much better. I get it. Sean McDermott would have to go one and done for several more years to match the record of Marty Schoenheimer. This isn't about a comparison between the records. But one time in the playoff games, in 13 tries, 13 years of Marty Schottenheimer coaching the team in the playoffs, they won more than one playoff game just once. Just once in 13 years. The other 13 years, or the other 12 years, I should say, his teams, his coach teams either lost their first game or won one and then lost. So that is where. I feel like the Sean McDermott comparisons right now are valid. Not the overall wins and losses, but the fact that Marty could get in, could you in, and win you a game, and then that's a wrap. All except once in 13 years, man. People hate the comps. But throughout the numbers, it's about being a good coach. It's about good coaches who, who can get your team to a, a certain level, and then they stall out. And I think right now as we speak, Sean McDermott is in play for that comparison. I'm sorry, but he is. And like it or not, it's this isn't an opinion. This is a fact. This is a data fact. The Buffalo Bills in their last four elimination playoff losses have had 38 drives on defense. They've given up 16 touchdowns. They've allowed eight field goals. They only forced six punts. Six of those 38 drives resulted in either kneel downs or the end of the half. I'm throwing missed field goal in there. The Bills in four playoff losses have only forced one turnover combined. They gave up 134 points, and they've allowed 3.52 points per drive in their four elimination playoff losses. That is terrible. That's horrible. So. Sean McDermott, until he can get over that hump, and he did it in 2020. The Bills got the AFC Championship game. Much credit to Sean for 2020. But in the three years since, they have face-planted in the playoffs. And even in 2019, the year before 2020, they blew a 16-point lead in Houston. So a lot of Sean McDermott's worst coaching has come in the playoffs. Not going to go as far to say that, this year, and I've talked about this, I think 2023, you really got to put on some of the players on the defense and injuries. But all in all, Sean McDermott, it just feels to me that he'll get you to a level 
and then you're stalling. And then the last point here, this one is simple. Wrong place, wrong time. I think the Bills, and I've, I've said this last week too, I think the Bills might be destined to be the NBA's version of the 1990s Knicks. And I love the New York Knicks. I'm a lifelong Knicks fan, and I follow that team real close. So I feel those parallels. I really do. I feel them. I don't just throw some numbers out there and say, oh, these are the numbers. They sound right. I remember those teams because I was a fan of that team. Just like I'm a fan of the Bills. A lot of parallels there, man. The Knicks were very good. Very good. For like a 10, 11-year span. And they lost to the Chicago Bulls while the Bulls were winning six titles. Six straight years when Michael Jordan played the whole year. Four straight years, the Knicks lost to the Bulls in the playoffs. Four times. The Bills have lost to the Chiefs in the playoffs now three times. They're 0-3 in the playoffs. Which is funny because, what are they? 3-1 and one in, during the regular season against the Chiefs. Playoffs, regular season, different story. From 1987-88 to 1997-98, a span of 11 years, the Knicks played, made the playoffs all 11 years. But nine of those 11 years, they failed to get out of the second round. They made the finals once, which, by the way, Michael Jordan was out playing baseball for the Chicago White Sox, or trying to anyway, that season. And then they lost in the conference final one other time to the Bulls. So you kind of get those parallels, man. They had an MVP caliber type player in Patrick Ewing. Lots of stars, lots of good players on that team, man. John Starks and Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, uh, Charles Smith, Greg Anthony, Doc Rivers. Lots of really good players on that team. But they just couldn't get over the hump. And after five Buffalo Bills playoffs, under the Shaw McDermott, Brandon Bean regime, four of those five ending within two rounds or less. I think it's fair to, to draw that comparison until proven otherwise. I'm sorry. That's just how I feel right now. And anyway, it's going to do it for the show. Like I said, a 2024 Buffalo Bills, State of the Bills, sad version. But this was the bad news. Tune in tomorrow for the good news. Because it's going to be all rainbows. It's going to be all blue skies, all positive. Lots of reasons to feel great about the Buffalo Bills this offseason and uh, going forward. And like I said, tomorrow's show will be the last show that I've already pre-recorded before uh, I left for my vacation. So, again, if anything, why you heard this today happened significantly involving the Bills while I was gone. Eh, sorry. Anyway, be back. Brand new show tomorrow. Appreciate y'all very much. Talk to you then. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.